And right now on Sunday night, I'd like to introduce one of the most troublesome Catholics of the present era. John O'Brien, he's the current president of the organisation Catholics for Choice, a movement based in the United States and since their founding in the 1970s, a consistent advocate for a rethink on Catholic teaching regarding abortion and contraception. John O'Brien, welcome to Sunday Night. It's great to be here, thank you. John, you seem to be put your life at risk in taking on a cause such as this. I mean, sexual ethics particularly attitudes to abortion and contraception, have become the touchstones of contemporary conservative religious orthodoxy, first in the United States and increasingly around the world. And this has become not just a Catholic issue, but it's been picked up by Protestants as well. And it seems as it's not only a religious touchstone, but if we look at, say, the way politics has been played out recently, a political touchstone as well. These are very turbulent waters. What encouraged you to get involved? I think one of the greatest tragedies of our age is the fact that women's bodies have become cultural battlegrounds um, between those who have a conservative view of the world and those who have a more liberal view of the world. I think it goes way back in antiquity to um, Socrates, Plato, the idea of the separation of body and soul. Um, There was a time when body and soul were considered one. The Talmud um, very much talks about sex and sexuality. Uh, sunshine, sex, and Sabbath. That's what the Talmud promised us. So uh, it's no wonder Jesus was a Jew, um, because I think that um, very much within that old ancient tradition, um, body and soul were not seen as separate. When they were separated, and I think especially if you look at the Council of Elvira in the Catholic Church, you saw the you know control being taken by celibate men, who actually regarded their spirituality and their abstinence from sex as being a higher calling than those of us who are in marriage and who are in family life, who actually do have relations with the opposite sex and see sex as being an expression of our love. So I think this separation meant also a separation with regards to fertility and infertility really, you know, a celibate group of men making judgments about women and their bodies without having the type of empathy that they really need to have in order to understand. It's also it's very interesting when you he- read some of the history of, say, the church in the Middle Ages, you can see that actually the church was a bit of ambivalent about the whole institution of marriage. I mean, the, 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 I understand that the, the porch at, at the church is in fact a place where marriages were consecrated because if you consecrate them inside, you'll bring the whole idea of, of sexuality into a holy place. And the, it, it, it was, they're very uncomfortable about that. This is absolutely true. One um, theologian believed that the Holy Spirit fled the room when a couple were having sex together. Um, and it was only later on that marriage was actually considered a sacrament. So again, you have this narrative in which the body is regarded as bad, the soul as a higher calling, rather than seeing us as we are, a mixture of both, um, living with the tensions that are there. Um, And I think that that's one of the reasons why um, issues like abortion, contraception, had become so contentious within the church. Basically, they nailed their colors to the mast, these celibate men. They made lots of rules and regulations about how people would conduct their lives. The problem with their rules and regulations is that they didn't consult the people who had to live by them. And I think therein lies the tension that we've had over many centuries until today. Let's talk about that in a little more detail in a moment. Um, Why does it continue in the current 
electoral climate to be a touchstone? Well, I think sometimes it's just down to political exploitation, if you don't mind me saying so. There was a time, for example, around the foundation of the United States of America, where they needed to galvanize the Protestant vote. And the way they galvanized the Protestant Scottish vote was to introduce issues around the prohibition of alcohol. Um, They were scared of those drunken Irish, those drunken uh, Poles coming into the United States of America. It was a way of electorally organizing people. The same is true in the United States, that what happened around abortion issues was that initially they began to try to interest uh, born-again Christians or fundamental Christians in becoming politically involved. There was a time in the late 60s, early 70s, when Protestant fundamentalists weren't involved in politics. They were far more interested in the next life than they were in temporal issues. And in fact, I understand that when Roe versus Wade first came in, the Protestant fundamentalists really didn't regard it as anything particularly to be concerned about. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't involve themselves in electoral politics. It wasn't until the Christian coalition, the moral majority, began to recognise that it's a great way of organising Um, voters by making people scared of sex education, for example, or making people scared around the issue of abortion. So I really see it in a way as being, because it's much more complicated than just one answer, obviously, but there is definitely a desire to exploit um, the electorate to have people having these cultural wars. Really, you know, issues around abortion, issues around contraception, issues around uh, gay and lesbian issues are really issues, I think, of a personal manner. And that's where they should be, not um, within criminal law. So where does Catholics for Choice fit into this? Give us some a potted history of the organisation and, and particularly why you felt it was important to take a stand on this. Um, Catholics for Choice um, was founded in the early 1970s. Uh, The Supreme Court made a decision um, that was called Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in the United States of America. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops declared that they would fight tooth and nail to bring down Roe v. Wade. There was three Irish Catholic women in New York. And when they heard the bishops speaking about Roe v. Wade, they said to themselves, you know something, these bishops are not speaking for us. They're not speaking for the majority of Catholics. And I think it's interesting that, you know, people refer to the fact that abortion and contraception are very controversial issues within the church. In one way they are, but let's look at the facts. 99% of sexually active Catholic women in the United States use a method of birth control that the bishops disagree with. 99%. If you had that type of outcome after so many years of campaigning, you just might be honest and give up. The reality is that Catholics have been doing it for themselves for a long time, making moral and ethical decisions in spite of what the hierarchy say. This, Similarly, is, this is independent of what's called the rhythm method or the Billings method. Absolutely. We're talking about artificial contraception. Um, you're also looking at abortion. So Catholic women have abortions at the same rate as those of other faith or no faith in the United States of America. Now, I travel around the world, and when I go into clinics in Latin America or I go into clinics in Kenya and Uganda, the people who are waiting there on contraception are not all Protestants. They happen to be Catholics who, in good faith, knowing their families and their reality, they are Catholics in good faith, making a conscience-based decision to actually use contraception. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an argument uh, implicit in what you're saying is that this has become 
an issue of such a major fissure, not just because of the ethics involved, but because it's 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 promoting a foundational split in in Catholic the the ordinary Catholics' ownership of their faith. Ordinary Catholics on this issue are walking away from the magisterium, and and are saying, "Sorry, pal." On this, we're going in different directions, and there hangs a whole lot of other issues. I think that's absolutely correct. And I think the story of um, the Birth Control Commission in the 60s really tells what's behind some of the decision-making. John XXIII, Pope John XXIII, was a wonderful reforming pope. He believed in a journamental, bringing the church up to date. It was John XXIII who established Vatican II. At around about the early 60s, It was an Irish Catholic from Boston, Dr. John Rock, who invented the contraceptive pill. Dr. Rock thought everyone would be delighted with his new invention. And John XXIII knew that Catholic women were asking questions about this. He wanted to include it in Vatican II, but the conservatives in the Vatican said, oh, we don't think that's a good idea, because they knew that they couldn't lock down Vatican II to get the result that they wanted. So they formed a separate body called the Birth Control Commission. The Birth Control Commission met for a number of years over the 1960s. Sadly, John XXIII passed away. Pope Paul VI took over. Pope Paul VI had a wonderful idea. Wouldn't it be interesting in the Birth Control Commission if they brought in, you know those people who are actually married and have sex, to actually talk with the priests and the cardinals who were discussing contraception? Now, this is why I'm a Catholic, because I do believe in miracles. When those bishops and cardinals heard what married life was like, when you can't control your fertility, when you are scared of intimacy with your husband, the hearts and minds of those bishops changed. And the majority report from the Birth Control Commission said there was no impediment to changing church teaching on contraception. Can you imagine if that was adopted? Can you imagine what that would mean in sub-Saharan Africa, where people need to use condoms to protect themselves from HIV? What happened was, and very, very sadly, Pope Paul did not have faith enough in Catholic people, because what he concluded was to go with a minority report to issue Humana Vitae and to continue the ban on contraception. And that's where you're absolutely correct, John. The Catholics left the set. The interesting thing about that, and you, you briefly touched on it, is I understand that that commission operating from 63 to 68, basically, came up not just with a recommendation, but as I understand it from um, the wonderful book on um, Pope Paul VI by Peter Hebblethwaite, actually came up with some astounding numbers, like of the voting group, 12 to 54, 54 were in favour of change and only 12 against. And yet Pope Paul VI is prevailed upon by elements of that 12 to actually ignore that 54, which were bishops, laity, theologians. So you've got the hierarchy of the church, the theologians of the church and the laity of the church in an overwhelming majority. Somebody must have been leaning on Paul VI pretty hard. Absolutely, and that's, that's why you know Gary Wills, the Pulitzer Prize winner, in his great book, Papal Sin, he actually spells it out for us because what he actually says is there's nothing pastoral There's nothing spiritual about the decision to reject the majority report in the Birth Control Commission. It had to do with the fact that if we admit 
that we got it wrong on birth control. Maybe the whole church would unravel. And that's why I say the Catholic hierarchy, the conservatives in the Catholic hierarchy, didn't have enough faith in Catholic people and in our religion, that our religion would have prevailed. In fact, it would have flourished because it would have meant that we don't have to live this hypocritical life. When you're in Mass on Sunday, you know everybody is using contraception. Here in Australia, Catholics use contraception. So it's a teaching that really fails any type of litmus test. It fails to have been received. There's a principle of reception within Catholicism. Obviously, the teaching on birth control has not been received by the Catholic people. You're on Sunday nights on ABC Radio, through Radio Australia, via the web to the world. Our guest on Sunday night is John O'Brien, President of Catholics for Choice in the USA, currently visiting Australia. John O'Brien, we briefly canvassed the the issue of the the politics around birth control contraception issues in 1968 that, uh, that led to part of the current issue with the bishops. The other issue there, though, more significantly these days, is abortion. Contraception, okay, we might be able to have an argument about contraception, but abortion, that is the nature of the human life when it starts, this seems to be an easily definable line in the sand. And here is where the line has been drawn and it's spoken of as though that line has been there for 2,000 years. Yet apparently Catholic teaching has not been quite that definitive on the line in the sand. Catholicism, uh, you know, really has changed its mind and had a lot of different thoughts about abortion. The Catechism um, contains only six paragraphs on abortion. And it says, since the first century, the church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. This teaching has not changed and remains unchangeable. So let me tell you now how it's changed. Because the reality is the early prohibition on abortion was not based on concern for the fetus. The early prohibition was based on the view that the only people who would engage in seeking an abortion would be those who've had some type of forbidden sexual activity. This is called the perversity view. So the sin was in the fact that you were slightly pregnant by someone you shouldn't have been pregnant with. Now, that's not much taught anymore, but it does form a lot of the thinking of the hierarchy around sin and this particular issue. We moved on then to the ontological view. So in the 17th century, people associated with the church, if you imagine, they were looking through jam jars, um, and what they thought they saw was they were looking at fertilized eggs through magnifying glasses and primitive microscopes. They imagined they saw fully formed animal fetuses, and therefore they made a proclamation about it. They didn't turn around and actually admit that what they were looking at they, they were not seeing what they thought they saw. So you have this sort of badly formed way of thinking. So today, when a bishop come, turns around, um, it might be his indeed very much honest perspective that um, life in the uterus um, has um, personhood associated with it. But the fact is the 1974 Declaration on Procured Abortion from the Vatican says they did not know when personhood begins. So there is life in the uterus. I, 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 don't, I don't dodge that for a minute. And, and an abortion is ending life in the uterus. But I believe that conscience 
in Catholicism is the final arbiter in moral decision-making. Catholics can, in good conscience, make a decision to end life in the uterus, and it's not the same as dealing with personhood. This question of personhood is problematic, and it it goes back to if you believe there's a a link between the beginning of sentient life independent of the mother, one threshold issue, the other issue is when personhood begins. On that issue, it does seem that the issue of when life itself begins has now been settled. It is at fertilisation. The question of whether that life is independent is is another argument. But you can say that, okay, we've now got a sort of line in the sand. But it seems there's always been some sort of intuitive recognition of the, the problem here, even in older Catholic teaching, because of the the nature and the way the fetus has been handled in traditional Catholic teaching. I mean, the fetus is not treated in death the same way a live birth child is handled in death. They've always had a different status. Absolutely. And St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, did not ascribe to the fetus in the early stages of development the type of qualities that one would, um, for example, um, uh, you know, say that a pregnant woman actually has. What about the woman herself? We do know the woman is not just um, life, that the woman is a person. And so where there's doubt in relation to the life that's in the uterus, there should be freedom. I absolutely respect somebody's view that the life that's in the uterus, they believe that it it should not um, be terminated. But I don't believe that you get to impose that view upon other people. And I think therein lies the problem that, you know, in Vatican II, the, the Vatican decided um, and proclaimed that it would respect the views of other religions um, in society. And what we see them doing um, when they try to, in countries around the world, from Poland, Portugal, um, the Philippines, Pittsburgh and the United States, you'll find bishops in their lobbying to inculcate into law what they personally believe. And I think that's wrong because it goes against the views of the majority of Catholics in countries. And it goes against, you know, basically you can have a worldview that um, life in the uterus um, needs to be treated differently. But I think that if you don't want an abortion, maybe you shouldn't have one. I don't think you get to proclaim and rule over the consciences of other people. There are three traditional ways of teaching through church history. We mentioned a couple of them. There is the teaching magisterium of the church. There is the teaching of the theologians. And then there is what's historically called the census fidelium. Um, That is what the people, the, the practical operational sense of the people over time. This issue, it appears, is at least confused amongst the census for Dalium to the point where it's, it's more honoured in the breach than in the practice, that there has been confusion in the part of church theologians and teachers on abortion just as on contraception, and that the line, even as high as the Pope, 63 to 68, on this same issue, abortion as in contraception, has been, in some ways, the decision has come not through the moral teaching structures, but through a sort of 
whatever the political reason was for making that decision. It seems that the abortion issue has been coloured by something else as well. That is, the arrival at a scientific line in the sand about when life originates. And that happens really at about the same period. So you have the way in which those who are concerned to have clear teaching all of a sudden can reach to something. Here is something that gives us a clear teaching. We don't need to be muddy anymore. And many good Catholics have accepted that, difficult as it is, that at least there is a line and at least we can, we can bring the teaching authority together with some sort of set common sense view uh, and that, that helps us settle the issue. I don't think that that line is as clear um, for many Catholics. Um, and I think that in our daily practice, whether it's with contraception um, or with abortion, I think it's clear that we are in disagreement. I do think you're correct that, you know, I think when Catholics look to their consciences to make decisions, I do think we have to take very seriously what um, the church hierarchy say on issues like abortion. But I think when um, Catholics test it against their understanding, life is present in the uterus. Um, I don't think there's a moment of conception. There's a process um, whereby life is there. But life is also present in a Petri dish as well. So the idea that we would ascribe to it personhood, I don't think that that resonates with where Catholics are. And I think you're right. Theologians, I know many theologians who would say that the Catholic hierarchy are entitled to have a view, just as any man or woman on the street has a view. But they're not entitled to ground it within some monolithic church teaching or understanding. If Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine were not saying that personhood is ascribed to the fetus in the early stages of development, I don't get to see how any a leader in the Catholic Church can proclaim that to be true. And I do think the census fidelium, no matter where you go in the world, um, Catholics make the tough decision to have an abortion. They use contraception. What the hierarchy want us to buy is that each and every marriage act, each and every time you have sex, you must remain open to the transmission of life. I don't think that that is reality for many Catholics today. And I think Catholics, you know, I don't think Catholics feel, I think it's tough to be in disagreement in a church, but our church, as the theologian said, is defined by unity in diversity. So I think the fact that some of these issues on a wide range of issues are contested within the church, whether it's women's ordination, whether it's divorce, whether it's um, contraception or abortion, I think the fact is our Catholicism is, it, you know, when you're baptized, you're a Catholic. And then you struggle forward, making all the mistakes that we all make and trying to do our best for ourselves, our families and our communities. But that is Catholicism. The idea that Catholicism is some monolithic religion, that you must subscribe to a particular view about either abortion or contraception or whatever else they've decided. That's not Catholicism. That's not the Catholicism that people live in the world today. But the church can make definitive rulings. Like the church says, it doesn't believe in capital punishment. Boom. Sorry. That's not... You can't... So the, the, there is room for some consistency in authority. On the issue, it, it really does seem with the abortion issue anyway, because I, I, one can accept that the argument over contraception has been one that's been publicly thrashed out and is problematic and there are you know, all sorts of wriggle room in it. The, the issue of abortion seems that because we've now got this scientific straight line, the church can say, look, as a matter of reason... The, side, the straight line will do. 
you're suggesting that no, historically always the church has concentrated on personhood. That is, if you like, the moment at which the breath of God, the Ruach, whatever, comes in and that is spontaneous at some point in that process. This takes us to the whole question of, well, if you're going to be flexible on abortion, is there a line there? Are you going to say at some point the viability factor is is the line? I mean, where is the line? Is late-term abortion? What happens to... There is some line there. Viability is an important question. When a pregnancy can exist independent of the woman, I think that that makes a difference. And I think that if we respect the autonomy and the conscience-based decisions of women, I think that, you know, most people would prefer to have an abortion in the early gestation. And I think part of the problem is that people like the Catholic hierarchy lobby and make it difficult for women to actually exercise their rights in an early stage of pregnancy. But, you know, as early um, as possible and as late as necessary, um, taking a view of viability, I think, is the most just and compassionate way of dealing with these questions. You then bring us back, in some senses, to where we began, that the real guts of this issue, from your perspective, is ultimately being both in the church and in society a political one, and it's being used as a defining wedge. And until that's dealt with seriously, we're going to have problems with this issue. I grew up in the Republic of Ireland, and... I think my country is a great country. I'm very proud of it. But when I grew up, the Catholic hierarchy had an unbelievable influence over the politicians. By the way, I blame the politicians on it, not necessarily the hierarchy, who were, you know, um, abuse of power comes as no surprise. When Irish Ireland achieved its independence, basically the politicians brought in the church um, in order to back themselves up. As a result of that, Things like, um, you know, books were banned. Um, We had um, no contraception um, was uh, made um, illegal and then severely restricted for many years. Um, Abortion um, was left um, in an illegal state rather than being made available to people. Basically, you had a theocracy rather than a democracy. And um, many people in my country, just as they struggled for independence um, from imperial British rule, I think there was a struggle for many of my um, fellow citizens during the 60s and 70s and 80s, continuing until today, because the influence of religion over politics can be a very negative one. I believe in a secular society. Now, a secular society is not a society that um, puts down religion. I believe a secular society has freedom of religion and freedom from religion. I think that's the best protector for those of us who are religious because you don't want someone else's religion um, forming the laws in your country. And similarly, um, people who are secular, people who accept the fact that you can be an atheist, you can be a Catholic or Muslim or Hindu, and we can coexist together. And I think that's the reason why laws um, should not be based on a particular religious bias or a religious view. We should allow people and we should trust citizens with the right to follow their consciences and the right to make their own destinies. Finally, it does seem 
that that defining Christian conservative coalition that's been there very strongly since the 60s and has used abortion as the touchstone issue uh, risks crumbling in the face of the uh, the, the edifice of uh, the Donald, uh, that this is, this is really fracturing what has been a long-term held um, political constituency. Do you believe that the debate over abortion, choice and those things will be refreshed? by what's happening in the United States at the moment? Well, it's so difficult to say. Um, I, you know, I don't. Donald Trump does not strike me as being a card-carrying ultra-conservative when it comes to issues around sex um, and morality, um, to say the least. Um, however, um, I do think that in order to run for the presidency, he has embraced a particular form of conservatism that does not celebrate individual decision-making. He has promised to put um, ultra-conservatives on the Supreme Court, which would overturn um, Roe v. Wade. So I think that for people who you know, believe um, in freedom, um, the presidency of uh, Donald Trump is worrying. But it's also, I think, worrying for conservatives, just as conservatives um, are worried about Pope Francis. Um, Pope Francis, you know, is very interesting because he's, he really has brought, I think, a breath of fresh air um, to our church. He's far more pastoral rather than political. He's far more likely to give you a hug rather than a rebuke. He but can it, be pretty political. Just a week or so ago, he embraces a female bishop in the Lutheran church, then gets on the plane and says, oh, no, 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 my, my predecessor John Paul II has said forever. And um, I was about to say... However, <laughs> however, if you, if you look at Pope Francis, in spite of all the aggiornamento that he's bringing to the church, he has a blind spot. And that blind spot, lo and behold, is women. Because, and it shouldn't really surprise us, growing up in the clerical hothouse of clericalism that famously excludes women, perhaps it's no wonder that when it comes to Pope Francis that he has, you know, he still has that anti-abortion view. He still has a very negative view in relation to contraception. He, he wouldn't even discuss condoms to prevent HIV. And when talking about women, he said, I don't know what you mean about sort of them needing equality. The housekeeper is pretty powerful in my opinion. So when he comes out with things like that, he's rather like that benign grandfather at the family party that you really don't want to talk to the grandkids because you know he's going to make them mad. <laughs> John O'Brien, happy to have a little contentiousness introduced here on Sunday night. It's been great to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. This has been a podcast of Sunday nights on ABC Local Radio. Thank you for listening. <laughs>